Another episode of the Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, and we are bringing you another episode in the year of polygamy. I hope you are enjoying this series so far. I know that it's a little dry with just me talking, but um, hopefully you can think of exotic islands and hobbits on a hero's journey or something while, while I talk because... If not that, you have to face the stark realities that is the practice of Mormon plural marriage. If this is just your first time listening, I would I would recommend starting at episode one with Fanny Alger. But tonight we're talking about another wife of Joseph Smith. This particular wife is Olive Gray Frost. <laughs> this is an amazing name. If anyone out there is expecting a child, particularly a little girl, and you need a name, this is a beautiful name, Olive Gray Frost. Now, we don't have a lot of her own writings. We have a lot of her sister, Marianne. So we're going to see what Marianne has to say about her and her life. Olive Gray Frost was born on July 24th, 1816 in Livermore County, Maine, the eighth of 11 children. She was known as a child from an early age who would find a quiet spot to retire and pray and pour her soul in secret prayer to that being who rewards openly and frequently she incurred ridicule thereby from those who were less sober-minded. So we know that from a very, very early age, Olive was very devout, very spiritual, very religious. Uh, it's said that she enjoyed sewing, and she became a skilled seamstress, helping local women with their sewing projects. By October 1839, Olive would be 23 years old and was living in Dixfield, Maine. She was really pursuing her dream of being a tailoress. She really loved this, and um, it was really important to her. In a later biography, Olive's sister Mary Ann wrote, quote, Elder Duncan MacArthur visited the place and preached the gospel as taught by the Latter-day Saints in such plainness that her willing mind, already prepared by earnest prayer, soon comprehended its vast importance, and she received it joyfully, end quote. Olive was baptized on October 28th by Elder MacArthur. She returned home to much persecution from friends and from family who were suspicious of her new faith. She was said to find comfort by praying alone in the woods for strength and courage. Again, we have this narrative of her going off in the woods and finding comfort alone with God in the woods. Olive's sister Mary Ann converted to the LDS Church after the first sermon she heard by the LDS missionaries traveling in the area. Mary Ann had joined the church three years earlier than Olive and moved to Kirtland, Ohio, where she had met and married Apostle Parley P. Pratt. And we're going to talk about Parley's wives and his story later on, which is a fascinating story. Parley at the time was a widower with only one child. And in the spring of 1840, Parley left for England and took Mary Ann and the children with him. They stopped in Maine to visit Mary Ann's family. And before leaving, they convinced Olive to go with them to England. Mary Ann would later write, quote, Olive willingly forsook father, mother, brothers, and sisters, and braved the dangers of the great deep to aid in spreading the gospel in a foreign land. These two sisters were the first missionary women of the dispensation to cross the sea, 
going and coming. Sister Olive was not afflicted with seasickness and was therefore enabled to devote herself to her sick sister and care of the family, end quote. However, she might have made the journey okay, but it's said that the England cold, damp weather was not good for her. She would reportedly spit blood if she walked too long. Their home at 47 Oxford Street became a meeting and lodging place for those coming and going to preach the gospel. Harley resumed his editorship and publishing duties and also presided over the church in Great Britain. Marion Olive helped in the office and assumed some missionary responsibilities. In a letter to church leaders in Nauvoo, just after the first British edition of the Book of Mormon was published in 1841, Harley P. Pratt wrote, quote, The work is increasing in every step. It is now prospering in Ireland and Wales, as well as in Scotland and England, end quote. Although he missed the saints in Nauvoo, he would write, quote, I can truly say that I was never more contented or more happy than of late, end quote. So it seems like it was a very good time for them. And I'm going to talk about the, the English saints and how they would come into contact with polygamy later on. You have to know that um, at this time that the gospel is being preached in England, plural marriage is a very secretive practice back in um, back in Nauvoo. And so it is not being talked about or spoken about, kind of like missionaries now. On April 2nd, 1841, at a conference held in Manchester, it was reported that were, there were now 8,000 to 9,000 converts, 5,000 just in the last year. A thousand new members had already immigrated to the United States. Passage costs were from three pounds, 15 shillings to four pounds, including provisions. Passengers were to take their own bedding and their own cooking utensils. All of their luggage would be free. On arriving in New Orleans, a passage up the Mississippi River, River, 1,500 miles by steamboat, cost 15 shillings with a freight for free. You can imagine what a journey like that would have felt like. To travel across the water, the ocean, and then arrive in New Orleans and go down the Mississippi River. And of course, by a steamboat, and of course there are these houses and cabins along the way. All kinds of exciting things to see. On April 2nd, 1841, at a conference held in Manchester, it was reported that there were now 8,000 to 9,000 converts. So that would make it 5,000 in just the last year. So the church is now growing. From a few hundred, it's now got 5,000 converts in just one year. A thousand new members had already immigrated to the U.S. In June 1841, Olivia Thankful Pratt was born and named after her aunt Olive and, of course, Parley's first wife, whose name was Thankful, which is a great name as well. This this episode is full of great names for you. In 1842, the Pratts moved to Liverpool to supervise the immigration process more closely. On October 29, 1842, they, le- they themselves left for Nauvoo and they brought 250 converts with them. It would become a challenging journey with difficulties, murmurings, and, quote, rebellions. Parley wrote, quote, We then humbled ourselves and called the Lord, and he sent us a fair wind and brought us into in port in time to save us from starvation. Daughter Mary Ann had reported that the water was so scarce that she learned to take a bath in a teacup, end quote. Olive and the Pratts sailed home to America on the Emerald on a 10-week journey and arrived in Nauvoo in April 1843. Now remember, this would be Olive's first time really coming in contact with the saints in Nauvoo. Along the way, 
at some point, Olive had contracted measles, but she had recovered before they reached Illinois. She was actually greeted by Joseph Smith, who met them at their steamship landing. And you can imagine what that must have felt like to have this beloved prophet that you hear about meet you as you land. Mary Ann Winters, a, a young passenger on the ship and daughter of the elder Mary Ann, remembers Joseph as saying, quote, Come, Brother Parley, bring your folks right up to my house. It is only a little way, and you can be more comfortable after your long journey. End quote. Olive's sister Mary Ann was heavily pregnant and had to be carried by Joseph's bodyguards to the mansion house. So you can imagine what that was like as well. In Nauvoo, Olive settled in with friends from Maine, and Patty and David Sessions, remember Patty was a plural wife of Joseph Smith, she settled with them. Because she was closely associated with Parley Pratt, Olive had access to some of Nauvoo's elite women, including Eliza R. Snow, and the two became fast friends. No one really knows how the principal was introduced to Olive, but we can assume that because both Patty and Eliza had wed Joseph Smith a year earlier and were heavily involved in the plural marriage circle, Olive might have been introduced through them. Mary Ann wrote of Olive, quote, She seemed to realize and appreciate the magnitude of the great and important mission allotted to woman in the perfect plan of this gospel dispensation, and she desired to do her part in the good work. She freely accorded to the man the title of king and joyfully accepted the place of queen by his side. It was at this time that the principle of plurality of wives was taught to her. She never opposed it, and, as in the case of baptism, soon accepted it to be her creed, in practice as well as in theory. She was married for time and all eternity to Joseph Smith. End quote. This is an interesting quote, and we will hear some of these like this. Now, I like to think of these own quotes in the context of our own lives when we're professing our spirituality. I think it's important to remember that even though many of us find the practice so abhorrent, that there were people that felt that this was truly a um, divine sacrament, a transformative um, ordinance that, that would change them, that would change them. And of course, we see that in rhetoric as it as it goes on over time. But many of these women, even though it was difficult, truly, truly believed that they were doing something bold and faithful and righteous in the name of the Lord. A member of the church, Joseph E. Robinson, said, quote, during the afternoon, I called on Aunt Lizzie. She knew Joseph had more than two wives, said he married Olive Frost and had a child by him and that both had died, end quote. So this is one of the, the controversies with children from Joseph Smith, claiming that Olive had had two kids with Joseph Smith, but they both never survived. We don't have any evidence to back that up, of course, because if he did have two children that died, there's no um, possible DNA to be tested there. Mary Ann's husband, Parley, also took on his first plural wife. Elizabeth Brotherton and the transition was said to be difficult for Mary Ann. She would eventually formally divorce him and become sealed to Joseph Smith for eternity on February 6, 1846 in the Nauvoo Temple with Parley standing as proxy. So that's really interesting. This happened often. Um, Parley divorces Olive's sister, Mary Ann. And then she gets sealed to Joseph, and he stands as proxy. So you can see that it wasn't, um, it was just an interesting, more fluid way that they live their lives. At about the same time as her marriage to Joseph, Olive joined and participated in the Relief Society's women's organization. Said Mary Ann, quote, she was very zealous in 
soliciting aid for and in visiting those who were needy and in distress. Her heart was always tender towards the suffering of every kind, and it gave her unbounded joy and satisfaction to be able to relieve it. End quote. After a year of marriage, Olive lost her husband when Joseph Smith was killed in Carthage. The writings of Nauvoo resident Eddie Smith indicate the strong attachment Olive must have had for Joseph Smith. She wrote, quote, When the dead bodies arrived at Nauvoo, the spiritual wives of the late prophet, before unknown with certainty, now disclosed by cries and a general uproar, uproar their secret acceptance of the new doctrine, one of them, Olive Frost, went entirely mad, but his own wife, Emma, appeared remarkably resigned, end quote. That's kind of a chilling, haunting quote for me, for many reasons. It's interesting to see what was trying to be said about Emma in that quote, and what was being said about the other wives. The night of the June 29th funeral, the people of Nauvoo were horrified by the appearance of a mob gathering a short distance away, with the intent of terrorizing them and destroying the city. Harley and many of the leaders were away. The available men had few weapons to protect the city because Governor Thomas Ford had earlier forced the people to surrender their weapons to his army when Joseph and Hiram surrendered in Carthage. The governor and his army were nowhere in sight. They leave the town. People are worried about chaos. There's this tension in the air. There's also this, you know, devastation and mourning going on. Mary and her children, plus neighborhood women and their children, most likely with Olive, huddled together in her large cellar room. They were certain that the horrific agony that they had experienced five years earlier in Missouri was about to be repeated. Then they had been driven into the freezing countryside in the middle of winter after having been robbed, beaten, women abused, crops and homes destroyed, and some killed. Young Mary Ann later recorded that her mother softly said, quote, If we have to be killed, let us all die together. End quote. And you can imagine the terror that filled these people's hearts. It was chaos at first. Their prophet was killed by a mob. The mob is gathering. This government sworn to hold the peace, did not hold the peace, allowed Joseph's gunfight to happen. Exit the city are nowhere to be found. These people are scared. They are scared and terrified. One woman later wrote about a drumbeat that penetrated the night. Quote, Every blow seemed to strike to my heart. The women were weeping and praying, end quote. Near midnight, there was a sudden flash of lightning and a crash of thunder followed by a violent storm, and amazingly, the mob dispersed. The saints would have seen this as a gift from God. God was angry that Joseph had been killed, and he scared them away with this violent storm. Five months after being widowed, she became the 11th wife of Smith's eventual successor, Brigham Young, on November 7th. Olive had been wed to, the Smith, had been wed to Joseph Smith for eternity and to Young for life. Thus, she would remain Young's wife until death, at which time she would join Joseph Smith in the celestial kingdom. It would not take long, for Olive had never enjoyed robust health and died probably of malaria on October 6, 1845, at the age of 28. So just a few months after, Joseph... Olive would follow. Mary Ann provided an epitaph, quote, She died as she had lived, in full faith of the gospel of Christ, and awaits the glorious resurrection day, end quote. So I would go, I would encourage you to continue your study, buy the books, read about these women in more detail. Um, obviously, I pick and choose the information that I find interesting and I find important and that has really affected and shaped me, but I encourage you to do the same 
because for me, I'm really learning so much about these women. They teach me about myself. The more flawed their stories are, the more allowance it gives me to feel acceptance of my own flaws. So that's really important. And I just want to thank everybody out there. I've had overwhelming support for this series. It's been incredible, the support and um, the generosity that people have provided for this series. So that really inspires me to go on. And um, I'm really excited. I've been doing a lot of research. I've been talking to a lot of great people. And uh, we're going to be having some of those interviews coming up in the future. So we just have a few more wives to go. And then it seems as if the summer is going to be the summer of the Utah period. So I'm really excited about that. Again, thank you for listening and supporting the Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast. And we will see you again next week.